You're tuned in to Claville and Lavise at clavilleandlavise.com. And we're here with uh, Dr. Thomas Lavise, who's the Dean of Public Health at uh, Tulane University, talking about COVID in Black America and also health disparities in general. Uh, Tom, you're the Skin You're In project. It's a multimedia project, includes a book, it's a docu-film series. You actually began this several years ago to address the issue of uh, Black health disparities and why African-Americans live sicker, die younger than other groups in the nation. Talk about that project, you know, in the context of what we're experiencing now. I mean, it's a project that I think, you know, that, that as you know, I've been working on for, for several years now um, to address this issue of racial disparities in health. You know, COVID is just the, the latest example, but we've had these dis- disparities by race for as long as we've had the ability to collect data and see what the what the disparities are. So, you know, we've been trying to 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 um, uh, learn about why the disparities exist and what we can do to address them. And that's what I've been doing over the last few decades. And the idea behind the skin you're in was to develop a project where we can communicate to the general public. So get out of that, you know, the conversation with other research scientists and move out to the general public and communicate to people what we have learned over the last few decades about these disparities and what people, you know, need to know to be able to take care of their health and live longer and more healthy lives. And so it's a docufilm. It's also a book. Right, that you're working on. It's a multimedia website, tsyi.org. Um, a lot of the reason, as well, I mentioned in the previous segment, you have this battle of information and misinformation going on, particularly with a lot of the anti vax actors out there. I mean, talk about that. And particularly, you see that on the internet. It's got to be frustrating for you to see how a lot of this misinformation is targeting our people. Well, it's it's frustrating, but as someone who's in this battle, you know, I can't really let myself get frustrated. I have to keep battling. It's just not new. I mean, we've got uh, we've had false information uh, promoted to the black community about all sorts of things, about the health effects of cigarettes. You know, menthol cigarettes are healthier. Well, in fact, it's the complete opposite, right? As they were being marketed to black people, you know, um, fake and false information about diabetes. You know, diabetes runs in the family. No, diabetes runs, uh, type 2 diabetes runs in the behavior, you know, and what you're eating and how and how you're taking care of yourself. So there's been a lot of, you know, misinformation and there's a lot of um, uh, mistrust that makes it even more possible for the misinformation to seep into the community. But the mistrust comes from a real place. It comes from, you know, untrustworthy behavior that people have been exposed to over the decades and even centuries in this country that make African-Americans mistrustful. You know, Tom, you you know, you you mentioned something that just made my mind go back uh, a couple of decades. Um, when you talked about the misinformation about a healthier cigarette, you know, again, to me, that's a dichotomy within itself. You know, smoking, you know, the way that we manufacture cigarettes is not healthy at all. You know, our lungs are not meant to have smoke in, in it of no form. You know, so when we talk about the you mentioned the disparities in African American health in Black communities, which we know for decades. And you know, if you go to your, if, if our audience goes to your website, Louise.com, you'll see uh, tons of your articles, your books that you've written uh, to push this narrative out to educate the public, which I think is phenomenal. But if we know that these disparities exist, and we know that this inf- this misinformation is out there, 
then why would our society push these products, these deadly products, into the Black community uh, who's already struggling? Profitable. You know, again, this is profitable. <laughs> well, 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 Will, I mean, look, we understand it is money, but Definitely I want to hear from the is profitable, standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to see how how they drape, uh, you know, this, this 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 logic and moving forward. But, but Tom, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, we know that malt liquor is terrible. We know that menthol cigarettes are absolutely terrible. You know, we know that, you know, all the worst parts of the pig that's put into our grocery stores is bad for your health. But we still push it. I mean, what is the reasoning behind this? Well, I mean, I think clearly there is a profit motive behind it. I mean, some of the think about pharmacy think about pharmacy chains that sell cigarettes. <laughs> what well, talk about talk about an oxymoron. Talk about a contradiction. Oxymoron. Take your pick. Take yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, it's the CBS. I think stopped maybe what five years ago. You know. CVS now refuses to sell cigarettes, and they should be credited for that. They sold them for many years, but CVS yeah. now does not sell cigarettes because it's a, it's you know, a pharmacy is supposed to be part of the healthcare infrastructure, but they're, but they're selling cigarettes. Now they do still sell potato chips and uh, sh- high, you know, uh, uh, sugary drinks and all sorts of. Hey, other, in moderation, other moderation is okay. <laughs> but think about it. It's about it, it's about the profit motive, and you know, profit comes um, when when profit, you know, comes up against health. Health usually loses. How? What has been the reaction so far? You know, one of the things with the skin you're in that project. Um, you know, we had an opportunity because I've I've been a uh, producer in a project. Tom is the executive producer. Um, we've had a great opportunity to go around the country and meet with people who are not just sitting back and doing nothing about this, but actually getting out. I remember um, a sister down in, what was that? I was in Tennessee, Nashville, who was going around. We filmed with her going around uh, doing CPR on the spot, in the neighborhood, in in bars. I mean, talk about, talk about that sister. I'm forgetting her name right now. Talk about it. Yeah, unfortunately, I am too. So I wish you hadn't had a... Uh, Catherine Brown, Dr. Catherine Brown right, right. in uh, at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. Uh, I met her in Chicago at a meeting uh, that the American Heart Association had put together with a group of African-American uh, public health researchers and and uh, national pastors, you know, na- you know, nationally known pastors. And we were kind of talking about uh, uh, heart disease in the black community. And we were about to, at the end of the meeting, she stood up. And this is to say, how many of you here uh, do not know CPR? And most of the people in the room raised their hands. She said, no one is leaving this room until they learn CPR. And this is to taught everybody CPR. And, you know, you had some, you know, some of the, you know, famous, well-known uh, pastors down there on their, on their knees doing CPR on the mannequin. She was like, you're not getting out of this door until you know CPR. And, and she was just so impressive. And um, she walks around in the, in the hood uh, and just like walks up to people and say, do you know CPR? And demonstrates wow. teaches them, people, knocks on people's doors and teaches them. And, and it's important. It's really important because there, there was a study done by the American Heart Association that showed that if a person was incapacitated and needed CPR and they were in a white neighborhood, they were over 33% more likely that there would be somebody nearby that would know 
what to do. Um, and that it's just something that is very inexpensive to learn, easy to learn, cheap to teach it to people, and we should be teaching it in high schools. We'll be teaching it in middle schools. You know, Tom, you mentioned, you know, that type of grassroots teaching about health. And I remember growing up in church, and I grew up in a church where uh, it was a Pentecostal, we've always been Pentecostal. And not only that, but we also had highly educated African-Americans. We had PhDs in our church uh, and people versus master degrees and so forth. And we're talking about the 70s and 80s, right? So this was highly unusual. We had nurses in our church. So I remember every fifth Sunday, we would have the nurses would actually have a room and they would come check your blood pressure, uh, if you had questions about your medicine and things about that. And I remember Missionary Barnes, she was a nurse. In, 19, in the early 80s, I want to say 82, 83, she started talking about this new disease called HIV and AIDS, HIV AIDS. And we would have education about what AIDS uh, was and the devastating effects of it. And, you know, as a kid, this was normal to me, right? It was normal for me to see this. But I realized as I got older, a lot of people don't have that advantage where they can go to professionals who look like them, grew up with them, and ask them those those questions. So, in you know, from from your standpoint, from a policy standpoint, how important is it is it for us to go back to, or create a grassroots movement of just educating people about their health, what is healthy, what's not, and eliminating misinformation as we talked about with vaccines. Yeah, I, I think that absolutely has to happen. Uh, in fact, tomorrow I'm going to be speaking uh, via the Zoom through a, to a church about this very issue. I mean, we need to be out there doing that. And I think all health professionals need to do whatever they can to educate as many people as possible. Because, you know, we can do a better job of taking care of our health, but me- most of us just don't know what to do. And then and if you just follow what's in the, if you just go by what you see in the media, which is going to be mostly television commercials, try to get you to eat certain things and live certain uh, lifestyles, you're going to be misinformed and um, a lot because there it's the profit motive that's driving that messaging, not not actually your health. So I, I think every health professional, you see, need to use every venue possible, including churches, to reach people. You know, I think that's one of the things that we found with the film is that there actually are a lot of people who are out there and really actively doing things and trying to make a difference. And they don't often get the attention because of the way the media operates in terms of not having time. This is not sexy. This is not controversial. And the profit motive that is behind the media. So it's important to understand that there's a lot of people who are doing things, which means there's a lot of things that people who are listening to us right now can can be active starting tomorrow, starting today in their community if they if they choose to, they can find something to do and get busy. And and I think you'll find that people will come forward and help if you ask them to help. If you give them an opportunity and a, and, a, and a way to help, I think you will find that most black health professionals will help. When I reached out to my colleagues, when I reached out to my colleagues in the National Academy of Medicine to say, "Listen, I want to write this. I want to do this this uh, letter, uh, and we want to put it in the New York Times. We want to communicate to our community about COVID 19 I was able to very quickly get 60 of them to come forward and say, sure, I'm willing to sign on to that letter. 
And it was only 60 because I could only get to 60 people in the amount of time that I had because we didn't have a directory. I know we could have doubled that number if we had more time and reached out to everyone. Since the letter came out, I had received numerous emails from other members saying, how come you didn't ask me? I didn't ask you because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know everybody. But, um, you know, people want to come forward and people want to want to want to use their voice. And, and about that, that article. So I we wrote this, um, I organized, you know, 60 of my colleagues from African-American members of the National Academy of Medicine to support the uh, editorial that, you know, that I wrote for the New York Times uh, was published last week. And, um, um, uh, you know, the one the one pushback that I got, I did get some, I mean, I got a lot of praise for it, of course. You know, President Obama tweeted it out and it got a lot of attention from that. But I did get some pushback saying, well, why would you put this in the New York Times? That's not a, that's not a, a media that targets the black community. And, you know, who knows who the National Academy of Medicine is? Why would you, why would that group think that the black community will listen to them? And I, want, I, did, I did want to respond to that a little bit, if I can use a little bit of your airtime to do that. Say that, you know, first of all, I'm an African-American. I've had a subscription to the New York Times since I was a teenager. So this stereotype that, you know, black people don't read the Times is insulting, quite frankly, to a lot of black people that I know that do read the New York Times. But it was never our intent to reach the general public. Our goal was not so much that we were going to reach the man on the street and the man on the street would say, well, the National Academy of Medicine members said you should do this. I'm going to do it. Our goal was to reach influencers, was to reach those pastors, the, uh, to reach the teachers, reach the, reach the um, you know, policymakers, you know, politicians, people, c- celebrities, athletes, entertainers, people that have access to people, people that have a platform. And to show those and to give those people some assurance that, yes, there are African-American scientists that were involved in developing these vaccines and there are African-American scientists involved in doing the reviews for the federal uh, for the FDA. And there are African-Americans involved in distributing the vaccine. And then we know what we're talking about. We are a part of the black community. And we believe that the vaccine is safe and effective and healthy, and that we think that you should listen to people who know what they're talking about, as opposed to listening to other people in the community who may not be as informed. And maybe some of those influencers will now be more comfortable coming forward and recommending that people get vaccinated. But Tom, you got to admit that the man on the street, too, if he hears that there are Black health professionals, scientists at the top organizations that are saying you need to get that vaccine... That's going to combat the information that that man on the street is getting from the anti-vaxxers because the anti-vaxxers are not trying to talk to the pastors. They're trying to talk to directly to people on the streets. So the more that you all, as as the top health professionals in our nation, that the man on the street believes doesn't even exist, the more that you all talk directly to that man on the street, especially somebody that you, like you that comes from the hood. I know because I was there with you. And we went back and we filmed and we got a whole lot of love. You got a whole lot of love and you went right back into your hood instincts and was right at home. So you was more at home, back home, than in some of these communities that we've been in where there's not people like us. So when people from our neighborhood see you, as we experience doing the film, they want to hear from you and they vibe with you as more with their own pastor because a lot of the people don't trust the pastor and don't trust a lot of these people that we claim that we think are influencers. 
Now, right, somebody now, say now, amen. Somebody we'll, say that's amen. another show for another day. <laughs> <laughs> that's another show for another day, man. Listen, but <laughs> I want to I, I, I want to commend uh, Tom on that article, and I understand exactly what you're saying. And we'll I, we do need to go back to that grassroots effort. Uh, but the influencers—that's a very important part of this because a lot of times we see the black. It's is is it is important that we let influencers know that there are African-Americans at the table, at the in, involved in the research, involved in the review, involved in writing of the articles, involved in the, in, of the approval and the improvement of our healthcare. Because a lot of times what we see, we see non-African-Americans, but quote unquote, people of color representing the voice of black people in our country and more specifically African-Americans. Very rarely you see African-Americans, Black people who had our upbringing, you know, like all, all three of us on this uh, show right now. As a matter of fact, I, I want to give a shout out to President Hrabowski at University of Maryland, uh, UMBC, Baltimore County, and the program that, you know, he runs there, uh, uh, getting kids into STEM uh, fields because he was recognized and his students were recognized as one of the major researchers on this particular vaccine. You know, so you're talking about kids from our generation who came through these programs that never thought about being an epidemiologist, right? But all of a sudden, they get this opportunity and say, hey, I could be an epidemiologist. I could be a person that studied viruses. I could be a person uh, in the lab in a white coat and still be a doctor as opposed to a person treating. And there, there are other programs out there that do this. Howard University, Car STEM program. Which well, 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 Eric, that's too. Tom's home. No, Ambroski is, is, that's Tom's own boy. <laughs> Tom knows it real well. That's again. So that's another example of somebody who is operating at the highest levels in their career, but also can go right down to the people like Tom can and be absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and and you know, come, you know, you guys come out of New York. I come out of Louisiana. Browski comes out of Alabama. But we all have that common thread between us. Exactly. We were raised in black communities. Uh, black experiences, black black parents, uh, and we understand better than anybody else, you know what our surrounding is. So again, hats off to you, to tell you, Tom, for uh, pushing that envelope. And that's a key and, reason why we've done this show, right, Eric? Because those of us that have all these letters after our degree, after our names, but can still go right down into the community in the neighborhood. And, and and treat people as equals. That's one of the things that comes through in the film that I have to say that Tom is the executive producer, did an excellent job. In. You, when you see that film, The Skin You're In, TSYI.org, you're going to see the brothers and sisters in our neighborhood, Brownsville, are also experts sitting side by side with the other trained experts as they talk about their experiences. And that's one of the things that when we showed the film in the neighborhood, went back home and showed that segment of the film, because it's a, it's a it's going to be a five-part series, a more series. One of the things that the people said, that our people who grew up knowing us said that they appreciated us showing them as being health experts along with the trained professionals. And it comes through powerfully in the film. And that's something that was Tom's vision. I mean, talk to that, Tom. How did that reaction, how you felt about that? Yeah. 
Well, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think that they that they are experts. I mean, so everyone. I mean, that was very intentional. We the way we lighted people up in, in the shots, the way we framed them on the camera, the way we set, you know set them and you know and, and conducted the interviews. We conducted everybody exactly the same way. So there we've got, you know, we've got Alvin Poussaint, Dr. Alvin Poussaint from Harvard Medical School there. And then we've got, you know, just a guy in the neighborhood who's talking about his experience and he is an expert on his experience. And so we treated him like an expert also. We shot him the same way. We lighted him the same way. We, we used the same types of questions and we um, allow him the opportunity to bring his voice into the into the film. And I think I think that's what makes the film effective is that you're hearing the professional expertise you're hearing the lived expertise, and you see the, the the consistency in that message, and see that the people in the community are also very knowledgeable about the situation that they're living in and why things are as they. Tom, as we wrap up, I appreciate you uh, joining uh, a time with Eric and I, RevisonClavelle.com. You can learn more about the film, The Skin You're In, at tsyi.org. Again, that's tsyi. Org. You can also learn more about uh, Dr. Lavie's. Any final thoughts uh, regarding this whole issue, the vaccine, health disparities? Well, just uh, I just want to, my parting shot is just to thank you all for uh, having me on this on the show and giving me the opportunity to reach the, the community and talk to the people about the importance of getting vaccinated. We may know, we may not know the long-term effects of being vaccinated, right? We don't know if there'll be some long-term side effect that won't show up for the next five years or something like that. But we do know that there are long-term effects of being infected with COVID. Over 450,000 Americans have been killed. That's more than one out of every thousand American. There's probably not a single African-American in this country that doesn't know at least one person that has died from this disease. And, and in those that have not died, people who have survived it, we're, learning, we're coming to learn, have long-term struggles. They're still having health problems. And those health problems might be lifelong. So the effects of COVID, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to weigh the effects of COVID versus the, versus the effects, long-term effects of the vaccination. And I think if you do that calculation, you have to come to the conclusion that you're better off not taking your risks with getting infected and getting that vaccine as soon as you have an opportunity to get it. Well, again, Tom, I want to thank you for coming on to this, this show and really breaking it down. And that's what we're all about, going uh, beyond the veil, pulling the curtain back and really talking honestly and earnestly about these issues. So you've heard it from here. And that's it for LaVie St. Claville for this particular show. Catch us on our website, uh, LaVieStClaville.com. Catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social media. If you have a question, Email us at lavisseandclaville at gmail. And until next time, be well, and we'll see you again.